0: Welcome to the Jungle Brothers podcast. It's Joey here. Today, I'm speaking with Margaret Dernan, who is a good old friend of mine from the West of Australia. She's a movement practitioner, someone that I connected with when I was very much in the movement realm myself. Margaret's a chiropractor. She is uh, an extremely motivated individual. She is highly academic, and we go into that in today's chat Uh, to a truly impressive degree. She's running her gym that she built in in Perth, Modus Movement. Uh, She's helping women become better in their training and healthier and stronger. And then she's also seemingly studying multiple degrees continuously. Um, A a real high achiever, a very fiery individual, a great chat. And we talked about today really our time in the movement realm and and how that affected her training and her outlook on things. Um, The second part of the show, we dive into more of the strength training for women, which is something that she's been very passionate about. In recent years and i guess the 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 main takeaway there is that the approach to really building strong females is somewhat different to building strength in males there are more things to consider and so margaret takes us through that it's a really cool chat i think for anyone who is strength training who's trying to live a a healthier life um who's maybe trying to get motivated you will enjoy this one so please enjoy this awesome wide-ranging chat with my good friend marg All right, Mark, live. How you doing, mate?
1: Good, thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me.
0: Man, absolute pleasure. Um, I wanted to just start by giving folks a little background on how we know each other. Um, for those of you who are listening, Margaret and I just had like a, a 10, 15-minute catch-up where I was telling her, stop talking because I want to save that gold for the <laughs> show because it's it, like you're an energetic human. And ever since I've met you, you've just brought like positive energy wherever you go. I, I believe it was at the Movement X seminar in uh, Melbourne, or you came to the end of it to catch up with, with Ido Portal and the rest of the movement crew. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it was, I think it was the Upper Body Strength Certification in Melbourne. Yeah.
0: That's the one. That was, yeah. And so, for, you know, for the uninitiated, it was um, Ido Portal who's like, you know, the, the man, the guy who kind of gave birth to this uh, or gave rise to this movement culture thing. Um, it was my first time doing any work with him. So it was a very kind of pivotal time in my sort of training journey. And I'm I'm guessing for you, Margaret, it was pretty early on and you'd been training with him for a while, but you, it was still pretty early on for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd, I'd done one workshop um, earlier that year. Um, which was the Movement X one, and then um, had just started the online coaching and was, like, all about it. Just was like, oh, my God, this is so good. It was frothing on it. So, obviously, I'm in Perth. Flew over to Melbourne um, pre-COVID restriction days where you could just fly around the country wherever you wanted. And there was, like, the movement – sorry, the upper body strength and then the course that workshop in Sydney, which I think you went to as well. Or that- maybe we just caught up. But we just – yeah, we – it was like both, for both of us it was kind of like early days and I think for most people in Australia it was just taking off so it was like exciting times like, you know, training with like-minded people and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I mean it was, it was, it was a very special time, wasn't it? Because there was, there was a lot of buzz around it. It was a very niche thing. There was probably like kind of through you I was introduced to this like movement crew in Australia where there's probably only about like 12 people and it was like, and, and who were all like really into it. Um, but 12 people from the entire country and we'd get mm-hmm. to whenever, whenever there was a, a, an event in town or you'd come to Sydney, you would always be really good at bringing everyone. You'd be guys, I'm coming into town, like getting people to come up from Melbourne and, you know, just wow. hang out. We'd often catch up, whatever, at a cafe or we'd hang at my gym at, at the first jungle yeah. gym and do some training. But it was cool. There was like, I don't know. I, I look back I, fondly on those years. Um, yeah
1: those those are some fun times and it was we became quite a tight knit group and yeah we'd train eat food i think like rod cooper came and hung out a bunch of times with us um so he's like yeah it's interesting he's doing different things now there's like a bunch of people that have gone and done similar but different things and it was yeah just like just te- it felt like a real team, like a family environment, and just so much fun. And summertime as well, like we'd be hitting Bondi Beach and getting acai balls as well.
0: <laughs> I guess the, the like so the the funny thing about it now is that obviously like I've got my gym here, and, and the movement pieces is, is a big part of it. It's not you know it's not everything we do, but it does form a large emphasis of the training. Um, you've got you have you're the owner of Modus in Perth. Mm. Can you tell us about what you guys are doing there?
1: So I co-own Modus with Mark Benarki. Um So Mark moved over from the States. Um, yeah, so after we were all kind of hanging out and doing the Acai bowls, hanging at Jungle Brothers, um, Mark moved to Australia and we started Modus with Anthony Tran back in 2017. But I think we'd we'd started planning. We knew that we wanted to like share all this stuff and this cool thing with the rest of the people around us, but we didn't have a gym or a facility that could accommodate for that. And like the average CrossFit gym was, was good, but there was also some like, you know, there was some limitations and and things that you couldn't really do in the average box. Um, So yeah, we put a lot of groundwork in and, you know, did some different things. Like we've got a big open floor space took this real modular approach where we run these six-week projects and it can literally be anything we want. So we're not limited by the environment that we're in. The environment works around us and what we want to do with our community and what we feel their weak links are and um, and also like experiment and try new things. So it has this ability to take on um, a look of, you know, like you're walking into your home. So the wood look laminate... Um, not laminate what it's called vinyl plank flooring is kind of like that could be someone's living room and trying to bring that idea of movement's not for just the gym we're trying to incorporate it into everyday life but here is a place where you as an individual can move and train in the way that you want to. If, you know you can lift the barbell if you want there's the rings there's boxes there's you know elements of parkour with the rail balancing and everything's just kind of movable Um, so we've got people that live in apartments and then it's cool because they can come to a 250 square meter place and just hang and like eat food and train without shoes. And yeah, that was like super frustrating when I used to train at other gyms. I'm like, what do you mean I
0: have to put shoes on? I don't want to wear shoes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? I, I, I think I, um, I take that stuff for granted now that, you know, you can Mm. train here. And then even if I go to, if I'm visiting another gym, it's usually someone I know's gym. In Sydney and it's usually a barefoot place if you want it to be Mm. that's right yeah the reality of like commercial gyms is that you still have to have your shoes on most of the time and that's those sort of funny rules what's the um so I guess what I was sort of alluding to before was that you you've taken a little step away from the movement scene uh like so you know talking about those glory days you've your training has evolved a little bit since then I guess Mm. Before, before I get you to go into that, could you sort of take us through what your training journey has been?
1: Mm, Yeah. So yeah, I grew up um, as a kid, so I'm half Filipino, my dad's English and I grew up in a country town. So I was born in a pretty remote uh, mining community in the Northwest of Western Australia So like there's no trees, you know, up there it's like really hot. There's a lot of like the beach. It's really sunny and warm every day. Um, but not a lot of opportunities for young kids. And you know, you've got like sport in the sense where you can play netball and if you're a bloke, you play football. Girls can play football back then. I would have loved to have played football. Um and so as a kid I like I always wanted I was really active. I was always outdoors and um but never really got the opportunity to play or do different things. Like in the town that I grew up in, there was no gymnastics. There was no, like, there's just nothing. So then I got to uni when I was like 17 and I started getting into the gym. And um, as a chiropractor, I was studying chiropractic science at the time. that's a pretty physical job. I don't know, like for the listeners, if they've ever been to a a chiropractor who does manual work, like they're actually putting their hands on you, they're working the muscles, they're maybe trying needling, doing some manipulation it is physical and I got to this point when I was, like, in my fourth year, I was like, I am weak as piss and I'm going to eat shit when I graduate and this is going to be really hard for me. At the time, I was, like, I don't know, maybe 57 kilos and, like, you know, doing the whole classic girl thing, like, mm, I just had a salad Also because I was really poor, like I literally legit couldn't afford food. Um, but also I was, you know, just like riding my bike because I couldn't put petrol in the car. So I was always like really active, going to the gym, lifting weights. I started, you know, doing like my little tricep pull downs and bicep curls and then doing um I really loved those Les Mills body attack classes, like I frost (laughs) on those. I fucking love them. So much fun. Yeah, and then um and then yeah, I graduated and I just I developed that love like I just you just feel good when you move and when you train and you and when you feel healthy, you just everything feels good and it's very relaxing, you know, it's very mindful. And for someone that is high energy like myself, you have to do something with that energy. You have to use it for productive means. Um, it'd be like you take a border collie and you you can't just make it stay in a Small backyard all day, and that's what a lot of people don't realize. If you're, they're doing office work, the body was designed to move, and you know we're originated from like really physically laborious outdoor manual tasks. to Even get water, it used to be such a, a hard endeavor for people, and that's just not the case now. So, um, so as I as I kind of moved through, started working as a chiropractor. Um, I started doing triathlon. Because I also didn't really do swimming lessons as a kid, just again, as I mentioned, there wasn't the, the real opportunity as much to get into that, so I felt like I wanted to to get better at the things that i that I hadn't either had the opportunity to do as a, as a young kid or that I felt that I really sucked at and I had a really great mentor who's a chiropractor um, from America, and he taught us he's like if you Feel like your weak link is diagnosing and working with the shoulder, then I would go and I would work on the shoulder and I would go to the weak place. So I had that in my mind from from another mentor to go to the place where you suck at and that you're not confident in until you become more competent and then confident in that. So I started triathlon and that was like pretty fun, but also like I sucked. You know, like I wasn't winning them because. You, if you're in the pack, you know, if everyone's, if ever you've done one, you're like swimming and you're like punching people in the, you know, in the groin, trying to swim over the top. It was really quite, you know, not fun. And then doing running and, yeah, you know, loving my, my Les Mills stuff. And then eventually I came across ido because I did a yoga teacher training and I started noticing like my back was hurting. Like I was like getting back pain and I was still only young. And that was from work. That was from being a chiro and just slamming on back. So I still wasn't, I'm not a tall person. I, in my mind, I'm six foot, but I'm not uh, like a giant. But I, and that's the problem. I'd be like, you know, taking on these six foot three dudes and being like, yeah, I got these. Not actually accepting the fact that I'm not built like a six foot, you know, Dwayne Johnson figure.
0: Good country boy.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I was just, yeah, exactly. Working with country boys, diesel mechanics that are swinging a sledgehammer at For 12 hours a day those are my patients and I was just you know throwing like slamming myself into it so so that's how I came across the door and I was like this just felt it just felt so good it just felt like it felt really like what my body needed and it was also hard work so that that hard work ethic which um I would say that you know fundamentally what probably brings a lot of us together is like we enjoy the discipline training we enjoy the routine we enjoy the feeling of of working your body and also like that calming sensation you're in the present moment when you're working out and when you're training and when it's challenging the feeling of like overcoming a challenge of setting goals and all of that really um yeah it kind of evolved for me and and just brought out a lot of weaknesses and and then yeah and I kind of you know started doing chin-ups I was like oh my god it's amazing and start doing handstands and all this other stuff. And then since then, um, as I mentioned earlier, I started getting into jujitsu and uh, like recently I've done some karate lessons. Oh, wow. um, With with like old karate. Actually, my my partner's dad, who's like 74 and just a beast, you know, like he's 74 and this guy's like got guns on him, you know, like a Navy destroyer, like it, it's And so when I look at the people that, are, that have aged well, it's they've taken care of their body but also not smashed themselves, like this kind of balance. And um, I think that's what martial arts gives you, right? It gives you this like spiritual, mental, physical, you know, whole person kind of development. So I actually forgot what the original question was.
0: That's okay. Was, yeah. To, to that point about martial arts, I, I don't necessarily agree. I think it can, like anything. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I think that most, I mean, most jujitsu practitioners are f- broken by the time they're, you know, wow. by the time they're approaching their mid-40s, they're a wreck. Um, and that's just the nature of the game. And mm. I think that there are exceptional individuals who manage to, to do it in a sustainable way when they can do it for life. But they're really, they really are the exception. I think, too, about like the, those more traditional martial arts like karate and stuff like that. And... Um, it's actually interesting. I, I saw a guy training at the outdoor gym during lockdown and he was, it was this guy in the corner of my eye. He was a big guy. He looked like an old sort of karate dude in that he had quite a thick build, but he had a big, big tummy on him. And mm. like a lot of martial artists seem to go that way. They, they just, you know, whatever, they still got skills. They'll still fuck you up, but they got a big belly, you know, and they're not, and because that's not the concern. The concern is the art, right? It's not about looking a particular way. Usually. um, but he was doing some handstand stuff. He's doing his wrist prep and he's hanging. And then he's doing some, some like chest to wall handstands. And it was really nice. And uh, I was like, man, you've got really nice handstands there. Like you're doing some awesome stuff. And he said, oh, thanks, man. Um, I asked him if he'd been doing it for long. And he replied, no, man, I'm a, I'm a karate guy. But uh, karate gym's closed. So I took up handstands a few months ago and i have just been playing around with this stuff. And I was like, oh, wow. Like there was a real, there was a real level of like, I don't know quality to what he was doing and I felt maybe that was exemplary of uh, similar to what you're talking about with your partner's old man like it's this kind of standard that that some of those practitioners sort of strive for in their training.
1: Yeah and I think it's been diluted um, over the years like I know Rob's dad he's like watches the karate in the Olympics He's like that's rubbish you know and he he wrote this like um, I would say you're right though in that most people end up broken in conventional well I'd say like conventional sports like football anyway like even you know even the movement stuff like when you're not mindful about it like there's the potential to really just fuck yourself up and um yeah Rob's dad his name's Bruce such a legend he wrote this almost like a thesis on the history of karate and his particular lineage and there's like this academic or this like scholarship to what he's doing and planning and programming and And then, yeah, like uh, attention and mindfulness to all areas of the body, which I think more and more, and as I get older, that mindful approach and being really present in the moment to the task that we're applying ourselves to becomes very important. It's really challenging for me. You know what I'm like? I'm just like, I'm going to do this and this and this and run like, you know, four concurrent activities and maybe like sometimes the rice is burning while I'm, you know, writing emails or researching something. But sometimes, you know, I get it together. But I, I've taken a lot from, yeah, using training approaches to be mindful. Okay, I'm now I'm just doing this and I'm going to monotask it and try to monotask it. And I think those um, old, particularly the old karate dudes, before it's been commercialize i think out of a necessity of running a business there is an element where you have to commercialize things um and it's also just evolution of culture right you know that's just kind of what happens to to any discipline doesn't matter what it is there's an evolution process
0: yeah tell me so going back to that um that that sort of journey of yours it just could give us a rough idea how long were you doing the movement thing for
1: So I did my first workshop in January 2014 and I would say probably realistically the last year I wouldn't have done a lot of the movement um, in terms of the online coaching, like mentorship, I, I wouldn't have done for a good year. That being said, there are some elements that are fundamental that I do no matter what, obviously like hanging um spine work um wrist prep like squat routine there's actually a lot of stuff that i you know i still do like floor work but it's just not like i'm not in a place in my life where i want to dedicate 2 hours to doing arm weights i have done that like i've done that um but at the moment like time is currency and i think you can relate to that when you have a family you've got you know a young baby now you have to be pretty judicious with how you allocate allocate your time and um you know starting medicine really was a humbling experience because i was quite naive in the amount of time that i would have to train like i was still doing two sessions a day up until i started med school
0: and was really quite training quite, sessions
1: yeah yeah
0: of what kind um, of duration
1: um so and it depended so uh, in the lead up to going and joining the army reserves I brought in a lot more like running, like cardiovascular conditioning, like in the form of um, there's a really great program called Maximal Aerobic Speed. And um, and there's different ways you can do that. But fu- fundamentally it was to try and build up my running capacity. And it was like a real slap in the face when I went to go and do a, a 1600 meter, a one-mile time trial after just doing mostly movement work and, and then, you know, some jets um, for the preceding four or five years. And I was like, fuck, I'm gassed. Like this shit was hard.
0: So wait, let me just confirm. This is your second. So you're already a chiropractor at that point. So that's... Yes. And so now this is, this is you studying medicine right now.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: God damn, you're an achiever.
1: <laughs>
0: so just to, just to clarify the timeline. So you've done your chiropractic piece and you were working like you were practicing as a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. Got into the movement realm, we're talking like mid, like 2014, 2015. Um, stumbled across jiu-jitsu like a lot of people do. I'm guessing you thought, oh, this is so much fun. What a great type of practice. And then you yeah. kind of got bitten by the bug and then started to cop some injuries and started to get a stiff back and stiff, And you're like, oh, wait, this thing's really fucked for my body. Um, <laughs> but goddamn, it's fun, right? That's, that's the whole like, paradox with jiu-jitsu. Um, yeah. So, so where you are now? The obviously you've kept some of the movement stuff. Are you still training jujitsu? I uh,
1: know I haven't done jujitsu since yeah for probably about nine months, and and I and I want to go back. It's just like the hour, you know. Even like every hour is precious. Um, so over summer, I'm hoping to go back, but also with a different approach. I don't think I'll do competition. I probably did a competition too early, and I did I kind of got this, I like, you know my division was like great. And then I went into like the open and then um, there was a girl who was just on the cusp of going from white to blue. And she just like took my arm and she fucking snapped that shit. And it was like, <laughs> and then, and the next day I'm back in jiu-jitsu class. I can barely bend at beyond 90. I'm like, I'm fine. This is totally fine. Um, and it still crunches a little bit. So I'm really mindful now about um, that injuries. And I think as a chiropractor, because as a chiropractor, you work self-employed and you're, you're, your hands and your wrists and your elbows and your shoulders are really important. And I was always very cautious to not get injured because I'm like, if I get an injury, I can't work, no work, no money. Being like once I finished my medical degree and that was another reason to kind of go back and do some more. So one I'd evolved past, like just doing the basic Cairo thing. I'd done a couple of other postgrad um, degrees in between that time as well um, and med satisfies my brain. It's, it's like I needed a sufficient intellectual challenge and also something that would make me do one thing to the exclusion of of all others. It's kind of like dating. You know, if you like, say you date a chick and she's like really fun, but she's kind of dumb and doesn't really like fulfill your needs. You're like, cool, that's fine. But I'm going to go hang out maybe I want to go hang out with other people because like you're not my, you're not my everything. But if you find like, if you find like one hell of a woman that challenges you, that fulfills all your needs, that it's really rare to find. But once you find that person, you're like, hot damn, this occupies all of my attention. I don't have any other time. I actually don't really want to do anything else now because I found the thing that I want to put my energy into. Um, so I think that was medicine for me and it forced me to get really ruthless and, and create um, a hierarchy of priorities. So it's like, you know, it's really fun. It's so much fun. I'm going to go back, but I think I'm taking that lifetime approach of like, okay, well, even if I do over summer, I do a couple of classes a week when I've got more time and I'm on uni break, that's better than nothing. Or maybe I just do like one class a fortnight. That's like manageable but I wouldn't say I have that that timetable that that um ideal balance yet because there's just so many things that I want to do
0: would you say that you're the kind of person that like how you just described what medicine is for you that you you search for that in like you so, you found that in movement as well because mm. I, I know you were you know balls deep in, in that and that that's so that's deep. balls deep <laughs> you could say that that's almost as demanding in a way it's like whatever, you got to train all the fucking time. You got to show up every day. You got to come to yeah. the events. It's, it's, it's almost like, like what you're saying about medicine. It kind of forces you to just hold that line and stick to the process as they like to say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I do think, yeah, you're right. Like I, by nature, am just like, I think I remember saying this to you, like I'd wake up and I just want to attack the day. And I, I remember I get... you
0: saying that explicitly and I still think about it and I'm like, fuck, I wish I could wake up every day and just feel like attacking the day. <laughs> yeah. I'm generally and, a very optimistic guy, but sometimes I wake yeah. up and I'm like, oh, I'm a bit sore, a bit tired. <laughs>
1: yeah, and that, and that probably happens to me. I do get more of those days now just because like this year's been like, whew, fuck that, that's, that's a big year, you know, a really big year even for me. Um, and movement, yeah, for me, that was like, I was like, whoa. I just found the best thing ever. The more I did it, and I think the more that that evolved, I do think that in terms of if we if we like use this overarching all-encompassing umbrella, and we call it movement. And I can still do, you know, jujitsu is still movement. Like running is still movement. Like all these things, it's still moving. I think that's how I see things now, rather than. Uh, having it defined for me by someone that doesn't exist in my circle, in my reality, in my world. Um, and what I mean with all, like all the respect and love in the world is that um, I can't, and I'm not going to train like Ido Portal and Adele Goldschmidt because they don't live in my, in my world and they don't live in my life. And I have diff. my body has different needs. I'm a woman and I have like all of these things. I have a family, like, Um, you know, my, my nephew's 10 now and I was essentially co-parenting with my, my sister had him very young when she was 17 and he didn't have a dad on the scene. And the reality is we have responsibilities and I really like, you know, Jordan Peterson's approach to this, this in the sense of like, you take care of your own house first. And, um, you know, I think we can use training as a distraction for a lot of things, and now that there's like there's like a really heavy influence in the movement culture for stillness and meditation. Really, what that is is like self reflection and looking in the mirror. And actually, also at Notre Dame, um, the school of medicine they're just they're just amazing. They force us to do self reflection as assignments, and they force us every week. They have professional development and and a self reflection framework for us to actually evaluate our emotions like there's some really great intellectual discussions um you know questions like okay what is life when do you consider life to begin you know looking at human error and also under this um or underpinned by a non-punitive environment of non-judgment which is really important
0: what's non-punitive mean
1: like so if you fuck up you're not afraid of someone coming down in like a ton of bricks, and and you're really encouraged to actually step out of your comfort zone and become a teacher to your peers and use peer to peer learning when you're not an expert on things, when you when you really just have no idea. But that's actually how you learn, and that's in the early days when we we're all like hanging out and stuff, and we were all just teaching each other. Like, oh yeah, I've been trying this, and you'd ask the next person, like, oh, I'm really struggling with this kick up, or like blah blah. And, and everyone was just kind of, like, helping each other out. And, um, you know, and then I think there's, like, uh, there's, a, yeah, there's a sort of tendency for, and you'll notice this with, as a father, as a little man, as Leo grows, grows up, you kind of want to be, like, you know, there's a time to reprimand. But it's always got to be under that, like, you know, I've got you and I have unconditional love for you no matter what. Like, I'm your father, I'm your teacher, I'm here to teach you literally how to do life. Um, and I felt like, you know, contrasting med school, specifically Notre Dame, because not all universities do this. Um, they they recognise, okay, we're getting like doctors that are stressed, that are burnt out, that are taking their lives. There's a huge mental health burden in all professions, but particularly doctors, and especially now with the COVID situation, like doctors are on the front line, GPs are copying it from people, about all kinds of stuff. Um, there's a real need to self-reflect. So um, and also to stay healthy, so there's like this framework that they go, okay, you need to like have the environment, you need to get out in nature, and you need to to get sunlight, and you need to have good social networks, and you need to feel connected, and you need to get your nutrition down pat, and you need to exercise, and you need to have meaningful, purposeful engagement. That's a that's a that's getting there in terms of a system that for me is like you know the all-encompassing woman or man, like the animus or the anima, like. That's that's the thing that I that I needed was like a complete system to be like, like Margaret, you need to work on your shit. You need to work on your shit and don't use training to distract yourself. And
0: study. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, you got to. Yeah, that's cool. It that makes a lot of sense to have that stuff built into the process because I mean, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. I think everyone's kind of aware, like. So many careers, but of all of the, medicine seems to be particularly geared towards like super long hours, crazy like yeah. expectations of amounts of work and study you got to do, and then whatever it becomes, it becomes in and of itself like an unhealthy pursuit, doesn't it? I don't totally. Kind like, of like owning a gym if you don't if you don't <laughs> curb your fucking behaviours early, like <laughs> you're trying to you're trying to sell people healthy stuff, yep. but you're like under rested and over caffeinated.
1: So true. Yeah.
0: Tell me, give me like a real, for folks who maybe aren't so familiar with the whole movement thing, tell me like, like, so people who are training with Edo Portal, what, what is this movement thing? Because we all understand, like you said, you know, movement is running and it's jujitsu and it's lifting weights, all those things. But when we say like movement or the movement culture, it's referring to a group of, you know, a system of training that really looks like what?
1: So I think that's like the inherent difficulty, isn't it? Because the movement culture is a system of training that's dictated by the, the guy that owns the trademark, which is Ido Portal. Okay. And, and it takes on the face and takes on mm-hmm. the themes of what this uh, almost like social media hierarchy dictate. So it's like a collective group. And you know, if we look at the word culture, um, this process of enculturation, it's a taking on of habits, behaviors, appearances of the collective. so that started out for us as like gymnastics rings, handstands, mobility work, a lot of body weight training, um, and then has now evolved into more things, like utilizing the tennis balls, you know use, you know people that would have seen this on Instagram like you know juggling or dribbling tennis balls with the feet or the hands, um, engaging in Hand-eye coordination tasks and and more complex neurological tasks. A lot of inner practice, and um, so it's really evolved, and it's really hard to quantify because what it is, what it is really, as what Ido would hope people um, conceive, is a very difficult intellectual concept because it's always changing. I can only answer for what it means for me. And the the people that I coach and train that I'm trying to communicate for them because I do feel like I'm probably disconnected from what Edo would like to be you know what, how he would like his his mm-hmm. movement culture to be defined. But in terms of movement training, it's a, it's essentially looking at how we move our body and developing a physical intelligence and a physical capacity in a number of different realms it's not just using strength as a metric so if we look at all of the different things the human body is capable of we have things like strength coordination um you know object manipulation working with another partner so involving martial tasks involving elements of mobility of um of mindfully engaging um you know, activation, deactivation, really also a, a use of breast, breath work, not breast work, but breath work. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: exactly. and, but also breast, depending on the game we're playing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and like stillness and meditating and using like going into the outer world and also going into the inner world. So it's really hard to quantify, but those are the kinds of things that we tell
0: people. I'm excited for the person that's never heard of movement and they just heard that description. They're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like super vague.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. But yeah, look, I, I, um, for me, you know, for me it was what attracted me was the body weight strength, the mobility, um, you know, the cool tricks, the handstands and the sick stuff. Mm. on the wings. And, um, and, and I got to a point with it, you know, just to, I guess, give folks a bit of context where, I'd gotten what I wanted from that realm and it was starting to go into other realms that, you know, were, were somewhat fascinating to me. Like say when we're at movement camp, which would be like these 10 day events we'd go to in Thailand where it's like you're just training all fucking day and you're you're going super deep on, on these very obscure aspects of your physicality. Um, I found a lot of that stuff fascinating, but when I came back from camp, it's like, I'm never going to fuck with that again. Like I'm just interested in, you know, getting strong and like doing sick tricks and looking good. And, um, you know, and I think that that's, I think that that is still what largely attracts a lot of people to it. Because mm. when you see people doing movement, it's like they're doing handstands, they're on the rings, they look strong, you know, all that stuff. Um, but I think, yeah, the inner workings of it, or the, the, the people at the top of the pyramid have are now taken it in into that direction that, you know, whatever, it's its, its own thing and it is very obscure
1: yeah i i agree with you and I, I think that's the challenge because um if we look at a utilitarian perspective so what's going to apply for the good of of most people not for the good of all the majority of the average australian population like the majority of people i work with certainly as a chiropractor they they don't need to be doing really complex neural tasks they can't even get up out of a chair without paying some of them like some people like just they can't squat and they don't have full range of motion or they've had surgery or they're a mum of three kids. They don't have the fucking time to be going into a really esoteric existential debate on what movement is and, you know, they need, they need to work on basic things, basic simple things. And then for, thing, you know, for people like they're elite athletes, say you're, you are playing, you know, you're, you are a tennis star or you are like, you know, the next Ronaldo, yeah, cool, like, do the soccer ball stuff. But nothing that I really give to an elite athlete on that level in their realm is going to help them. I have to give them, like, a different form of diversification. So, And that's when I started the Masters in Strength and Conditioning last year that um, –
0: started that as was,
1: well? Yeah, so I started doing my Masters in Exercise Science in Strength and Conditioning through ECU last year. And, Jeez, like – you know what? Though it's funny you say that, but then I get to I get to uni. So in my cohort at Notre Dame, I feel sometimes like I am like the dumbest person in the room, and I've done nothing with my life. You know, there's people in there with PhDs in immunology that are all now doing the med med degree. There are people that have got like PhDs in neuroscience, and um, and that's why I know I'm in the right place because I'm like I feel like a small fish in a big pond. I'm in the right pond. Because these people are going to elevate me and lift me up. And if, you, if you're if you the big fish in the small pond, yeah, your ego is going to get a stroke and you feel like fucking awesome because you're like king dick and no one's going to ever question you because you say big words, but you're not going to grow from that. So I found it really, like, um, great to be in med school. But, yeah, so back to the masters. Going then and looking at it from an um, intellectual – oh, did I just drop out? Or did I – no.
0: Yeah, turn to a little photo of you, which I was like – doesn't actually look that much like you
1: no no it's like an old version um so when I yeah started my master's I was like really wanting this you know my brain felt like it needed some work because I've been doing like this training and stuff but I my natural tendency is towards academics like I wasn't yeah, I I wasn't. Um, I would say like even in movement culture, like I'm never going to be the strongest, and like I'm. It was never in my wheelhouse or my goals list to be popping one on handstands. Like I wanted to get like a ten second handstand, and then anything after that was a bonus. Because I looked at the training, and I still look at training as a means to an end. It's not the end for me. Like Jordan Peterson in his new book um, talks about to essentially become all you can conceivably be in this lifetime. And if it's something that you can conceive to be achievable in this lifetime, it's probably not a big enough vision to have. In my, my perspective. Now, that might look different to different people. Um, I think there is a lot of honour and beauty and necessity in, like, you know, people going, I'm going to be the best parent ever well I'm gonna I you know my job is to be you know like even a cleaner so my mother was a cleaner so that's not being disrespectful but I'm gonna like make sure when I clean it's gonna be at a high standard and I really needed this intellectual side to the training so I could understand what the fuck I was doing because there was questions were coming up and I wasn't getting like like "Eh, I'm not sure about this So I want to go look it up. So, and I like structure. So I love tertiary education because you have structure, you have deadlines, you have learning objectives. You have like, you know exactly what's expected of you and what's going to be taught of you. And I did feel like, um, you know, kind of going through a bit of the mentorship stuff. I was like, things are just changing. Like, like what do you, like, okay, it's changed now, but it was like this, it was like very, the goalposts kept shifting. And for my, my, need for like routine and order um i prefer to have something that's more structured and also that goes really deep into the academics acknowledging that you can go down these rabbit holes and never come out so um back to yeah the you know the need to diversify and the need to have other things for me med school served that the training component also serves that and i and i think for average people we need to do we'd still need the cool tricks that they still had their place because the journey of achieving like acrobatics or the journey of achieving like really decent, you know, numbers with lifting the journey to achieving your ring routine, that is necessary. And I really feel it's so important for young men. I don't feel for young men that are charged with testosterone. They just want to fight, fuck and i don't know fart or whatever like we don't have we don't have wars anymore so young men who maybe have like a bit more of a desire to begin to physical pursuits generally you know i would actually say to them go join the military go join the military like still train but join the military because you get a brotherhood there and it satisfies this primitive warrior gene that some people have that is not being realized Like you can't take a warrior and put them into an office it just won't work
0: yeah well i mean i agree with you on quite a bit of that and i think the like martial arts jiu-jitsu training Mm. even training like coming like say at our gym we've got sort of we've got young guys who just channel their energy into whatever they do here and yeah if it's not channeled that becomes a problem potentially tell me about um so with the movement thing and, and training generally, and you touched on this, uh, you touched on as a female earlier on in your training career, you were you know, eating quite light, salads, that kind of thing, trying to stay small, like following that very typical kind of fitness approach. So less typical these days, but largely kind of what women have been conditioned to think they have to do. Um, it's obviously evolved for you and you, you now, you, the way you talk, and it's, it's clear that you have a better understanding of what your body needs and that kind of thing. Can you talk about when I, when I knew you, um, I remember I came around, you said, Oh, come pick me up. There's a crew of us staying at this place and we'll go train. Um, I'll make breakfast and you roasted a, uh, like a lamb shoulder for breakfast. And I got around there and it was like, Mark pulled this awesome slow roasted lamb shoulder out of the oven at like eight in the morning. And we, you know, we just stood around and like ate this lamb. And then I think later in the day you produced a, we we're looking for a snack in between training sessions and you produced like a jar of pate and you're like, Oh, here, I've got some pate. And then, uh, and it was pretty much black coffee. And then that was about it. Tell me, tell me about how your view of nutrition and sort of female needs have changed in recent times.
1: Yeah, that's like, I don't actually remember that, but that's totally something that I would do. Um, And, yeah, I think you're right. Um, It's definitely evolved. Uh, When I first started training (coughs) with Edo, I was very paleo-geared, so I'd already been doing that um, for a while. Uh, My friend Jeremy Princey, who's the holistic lifestyler, um, he and I did it holistic lifestyle coaching course just after we finished Cairo through Paul Check and that was just that was great because you know after uni we were just sinking back like cheap refined carbohydrates like we were still like pretty healthy like in uni i would make these large vegetable lasagnas and you know i was i've always loved cooking so that's never been an issue but it's about knowing like what you need, not just for a woman, I think this actually universally applies to men and women, but women are in a slightly different category because of their menstrual cycle. Um, we need a lot more food than what we realise. We need a lot more protein than what we realise. Um, we need Like that peri-workout nutrition is really important, especially for women, because we're such cyclical beings. Um, when I started training with do, I remember I was you know, maybe on my third phase of online coaching and I'd finish a bent time session. And as you remember, like, you were doing th- three sessions a day on like a Monday and a Thursday. It was like bent time in the morning and handstands and then bent time in the evening. And it was six days a week of training and you had one day off. And um, so you make a lot of progress, but you have a tendency, or a lot of people have a tendency to cook themselves. I would say even if they're not, even if they're eating lots of food, they you cook yourself with, and a large amount of volume and no off season or not appropriate recovery so um yeah I was eating paleo but I was eating fuck all carbs
0: it's kind of like, kind of characteristic of the paleo scene
1: yeah yeah and it was almost like you know carbs for sure were a bit demonized i'd say um and edo was also paleo and very low carb um, and then I was like, I'd finish a band conversation and I'd be like, I need a nap. I need a nap. I, and that's not usual for me. Um, but I'd have like a, a nap and, and it was fine. But then I actually noticed I'd started getting a bit more like puffy, you know, and I was like, what's going on? And I, and it wasn't that I was necessarily putting on slabs of muscle. It, when I first started, I put on like a bunch of muscle and a bunch of weight, like a good five kilos, um, and, but I was like, oh, this is like not good. Cause I was like also staying up late to finish my session. Sometimes I'd be in the gym till 1030 at night and I wasn't getting enough sleep. I get like five or six hours sleep. And um, I started coaching with Courtney Townley who had done online coaching with Ido. She was also one of the early women. We actually had a women's Facebook group and there was like 10 of us in there from around the world.
0: Oh, wow! So
1: Courtney Townley has her coaching business, Grace and Grit. And, um, I started coaching with her, and, and when I tracked her, when I jumped on My Fitness Pal and I tracked it, I was eating like a thousand calories a day, sometimes 800.
0: Holy and shit. I was
1: working as a chiropractor, I was training six hours a day, I was like, you know, hustling, I was just like doing all this stuff. And I was like, whoa, I'd, I'd had one coach before that who was more of the polyquinesque esque, and they got me eating more protein, which was good, but it was still like not enough carbs, like really not enough. Um, so then when I when it's like, tracked and you look at the numbers like, oh my god, uh, no wonder, like I'm like not that I felt like I didn't feel tired. I just felt jacked up all the time, which is another thing. You can actually like when you when you've been eating not enough food, then your sympathetic nervous system kicks in and you don't realize, you're like, I feel amazing But actually
0: highly strong
1: cortisol yeah hello cortisol and you and cortisol will rise mediated by your sympathetic nervous system so your fight and flight system as opposed to your rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system cortisol will rise to, to maintain your blood sugar levels within a window they don't they don't and can't drop too low because then you'll get hypoglycemic so cortisol mobilizes um like glycogen, or you know, we can your body can use things like uh, proteins. It can take your muscle tissue, but then what will happen is you'll also start to like retain fluid. So um, this is something particularly with women. I term this uh, moon face appearance. <laughs> like it's not it's not really like a Cushing's moon face. So Cushing's is a disease. It's a pathology where you actually have hyper or way too much cortisol secretion. But I think there can be times when you're really stressed and you're like stressing the body out nutritionally, stressing it out through exercise, stressing it out emotionally, psychologically, also not getting enough sleep. There are different layers to this allostatic stress concept that can result in abnormal um, hypothalamic, so your brain hypothalamus, pituitary, also in your brain, adrenal, so the adrenal gland sits on top of your kidney, axis, where we have a a little bit of a overstimulation of our sympathetic nervous system. And um, I think women are highly sensitive to this. Men are sensitive to this. They just don't have this monthly card or report card like the period or the menstrual cycle to give them feedback on where they're sitting. Also, women have other hormones at play and women are so much more sensitive about weight gain and loss. I mean, I say that, but actually I also know a fair few blokes that are like, you know, they, they get really hung up in aesthetics as well, but women even more so because of what, you know, traditional fitness culture is, has given us. So I did this um, precision nutrition certification and that was great. And I also went through as a client for a year. So I did this certification plus I went through as a client and it was great. And it talks about this concept of being a nutritional agnostic. So everyone's individual nutrition requirements are determined by them and now with the research so jumping back into the med school um, scene I just had some lectures on this every person has a different nutritional profile requirement every person you can't say you can't say to people do the paleo diet because some people do really well and some people do really poorly just like you can't say to everyone that a vegan diets going to work and and I know of a lot of women that have been in the CrossFit scene that have come off the paleo diet with being super low carbs and being unable to lose body fat. And as soon as you're adding carbs and get over the fear of eating carbs. And when I say carbs, I'm talking about like, you know, yeah, rice, like good amounts of rice. Yeah. Sourdough bread. Is it that I'm advocating to be smashing back like, you know, bad quality food? No, but now I'll have like a cinnamon scroll, or I'll have a jam donut, and I'm not feeling guilty for like having a cinnamon scroll and a jam donut.
0: Remember when I had the donuts in Thailand? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People camp, and I <laughs> snuck away to the secret camp. Yeah. And, bought, and Margaret's like, "What are you doing here?" And I'm like, "I'm going to buy a donut." And everyone's <laughs> like, "No way!" And I'm like, "What? Well, <laughs> I'm going to get it?" And I had a little sign. It's in Thailand, and it said, <laughs> "Donuts." Nos. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible though right yeah like even the fact that you have to specify that when i say carbs i'm not advocating that you eat bad foods Th- that that yeah. indicates that there is still this link that we have where it's like carbs are bad and no they're not they're just it's just another macronutrient and you need it how much and you know what source you get it from okay that you know that's that's another discussion but um yeah it's really fascinating what you say like i just today I was looking at old photographs of, of our gym from our, from our original Jungle Brothers because I was um, making a, a design for the uh, another podcast episode. And um, I, came, I was stumbling across these old photos on our Facebook and I'm looking and I'm like, oh, wow. And I, I saw um, there's a photo of me standing with a bunch of people and I was like, fuck, man, I'm so stripped. Like I was, I was like probably the most muscular I've been and also the lowest body fat. And I didn't realize... Like I didn't perceive myself as that at the time, but I look back, I'm like, wow, man, I was super lean. And in my head, I'm like, you look good. But <laughs> I, was, I was also completely under eating and over training, wow. not sleeping enough that whole time. Like what you said was exactly what I was doing as well. And I think my calories would have been under 1500 or under 2000 for the most. Wow. Part. But it's, a, it, and it's incredible, right? Because we almost, it like, you can look really good like that. But you can be totally struggling mm-hmm. and falling apart internally, and fucking up other aspects of your life.
1: So true. So my a good example of that, like my partner Rob, he just left the SAS after like twenty two years, and and when I met him uh, and we were training together, he was like like i don't know 5 for sure no more than 6% body fat and training twice a day like real heavy into the crossfit scene but like had all these like joint you know injuries and joint pain and stuff like this and um you know it was eating like a 12 year old chinese gymnast um and that like one of the things that like that we did and i sort of said to him like look you've got a couple of choices And I do this with the women that I coach. So I do health coaching for women now because I had such a positive experience from just like eating food, you know, (laughs) like, whoa, so simple, eating enough food. Um, So I coach women and I said to him, like, look, just track what you eat and you'll be surprised. You think – we've got like a whole section of the population that thinks that they're eating less than what they're eating and that predisposes them to obesity and, um, you know, all the other lifestyle diseases like diabetes. But what I've noticed in people that train regularly, it's actually opposite, which is they train so much, but they don't eat enough. But the public health guidelines from most medical professionals or healthcare professionals is to go with portion control sizes. But that applies if you're obese. If you're training, you need to fuel like a motherfucker. Like if you're doing... If you're doing significant amounts of, um, you know, strength work, you need to be on top of your nutrition because if if you're not, like, you literally after you work out, you've got a half an hour window. You need to get your proteins and carbs in because your receptors and your transporters are active when you when you're exercising. So that's the time to have carbs. And the average person doesn't know that. How can they know that? It's hard. I had a five-year degree and I didn't know that. Um, and then you know, you kind of like go back by what the other person's doing and everyone's got a fucking opinion about what you should be eating. Oh, I tried this. Yeah, you should do this. Um, yeah, but like they've got a completely different demographic or, or background. Like me as a half Filipino, I've got different requirements to someone that's from a Slavic background, you know. And yet, the remember I was like talking about earlier, there's some themes, some universal themes. I feel that getting adequate nutrition that's calibrated on a regular basis like a weekly to bi-weekly basis for what your needs are if you are an active person is pivotal to having a full functioning healthy life because if you don't it's the first of all it's the most easily corrected it's so easy to correct but it's bound by all of this psychological bullshit especially for women you know they get so afraid if they eat more food that they're going to get fat and yeah, if you're eating 1,000 calories and you jump straight up to 2,000 calories, you will put on fat for sure. But there's a way to do it. So, um, you know, reverse dieting, which is kind of big in the, the bodybuilding scenes at the moment, the figure competition scenes, that's is, a really,
0: heard, sorry. What is reverse dieting? I've heard of it.
1: Yeah, so that's, um, that's essentially, it came out of uh, Lane Norton who has a PhD um, in biochemistry, I believe. But he was a real big person to found this um, concept in bodybuilding because, you know, you'd have all these people cut and they'd go on a calorie deficit and they're like, you know, trying to get super shredded to get up on stage for their five seconds of fame. And then they'd go back to eat normal food and they'd blow up and they'd get like this rebound way and like, what's going on? So then what they do is they cut again and they starve themselves And every time they did that, they were getting like bigger and bigger. So what a reverse diet does is if you've been in a period of caloric deficit, then you get that baseline figure. You work out. So Precision Nutrition have an online calculator, which is pretty accurate because you plug in your activity levels and your meal preferences. So even if you're vegetarian, you can plug it in online and you see what the difference is. And then every week you increase by like 50 to 100 calories until you reach where you're supposed to be at for basic life because when most people like for you being ripped and shredded on 1,500 calories, that's like not even enough food for basic function and so you don't really realise that until, you know, people end up just burnt out. They're just like burnt out Um, and so, yeah, that's reverse dieting. So you're, you're taking someone out of a calorie deficit gradually and slowly and you're matching that with your weight. So you're measuring yourself on the scales regularly, not looking at it from a um, emotionally charged place, but kind of looking at it as just data, like what's happening, where's my body at, am I matching my calories, having, having a training load as well, not that you're sitting on the couch and like watching TV all day. Like this is for, my caveat is this is for active people that are training on a regular basis. Um, and then you get to a point where you're at maintenance calories and then you stay there for a good six months. Before you do anything. So, you stay there for a good six months, depending on how long you've been at a deficit. That could be like a year, maybe 18 months for women who've been just in this cycle of dieting all the time. Um, Laurie Christie King, so Laurie CK, has a great ebook that tells you exactly how to do this. It's easier and and preferable when you have a coach who can guide you through that process, because for women, a lot of emotions come up. You know, like you'd have them at Jungle Brothers, you'd have women that are coming in, and we certainly have them at Lotus. They're coming in, they're dedicated, they're doing the classes, they're doing the work, and maybe they're not getting the chin-ups, and maybe they're not seeing the results, and maybe they're like, hey, like I'm putting on weight, or why am I not getting like leaner or whatever? Um, and so as soon as you feed them up and you do that over a gradual process, wow, the results are amazing. And I've got um a girl that I'm training at the moment or coaching. Uh so I do one year, six month minimum, but like one year programs. And she was coming to modus like religiously and doing the work, but like being tired. And I guess also buying into a narrative of like, I'm not a strong person. I, you know, I don't have that ability. I'm like, you totally have that fucking ability. You just don't realize it yet. Stick with me kid. I'm going to make you eat so much goddamn food. You're going to, you're going to be like begging me that you don't want to eat chocolate ever again. You're going to be so satisfied
0: (laughs) (laughs) and you will be strong. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and you'll be strong. And lo and behold, six months later, she pops her first chin up. And it was like, when Leo does this as a parent, when they take their first steps, you are just like, oh my God, I'm so proud. You know, you're like on the inside, you're like this, this is like Calvin Harris and Rihanna playing like, baby, this is what we came <laughs> Um, Because she did a chin up and she was just like, oh my God, I'm amazed. And then she's got two chin ups. And now she started doing sprint training. And, her weight is neg- like it's the same she's eating double the amount of food that she was eating before she's getting fucking strong she's deadlifting wow she's got energy she's she's got like actual energy to focus in class and she said to me a few weeks ago Margaret i now know what you mean about actually enjoying the class she's like i am not tired i am a, i can pay attention like half the people that come and see me as a chiropractor, if they sorted out their nutrition, they would be in a much better place for it. Um, And I I think, that so what that will be is the platform. Like I envision a society or, or for sure a medical fraternity. And there's, there is this emerging, this lifestyle medicine group where we are not specialists of diseases and not dealing with sick care, but we're actually working on a preventative model. And that's where for me, the more gyms and the more, jungle alliances we have fucking good the more we need more of that shit we need more people leading from the front and showing others like this is an example of what you can do and here are the places that you can go to if people that are actually thinking about this stuff and going hey yeah like i'm eating more and i feel better not the the boot camps that are like you must eat 1200 calories and you're gonna you know smash yourself it's like no get the foundations right but truly right and again you have to deal with this whole like psychological narrative that people have around food right um and and from there the results will follow so i still i still eat a lot of protein um at the moment because of time i'm and i still meal prep i still like cook all my own food as i said because i love good quality food i'm more relaxed on things like i'll have a bit of like you know chocolate you know, from time to time. And I was really quite militant and quite strict before, which I think all of us have been in that place at some point. Um,
0: God damn, you turned around <laughs> a jar of pate with you.
1: I did, yeah. <laughs> I would do some crazy things. Like when I'd go to America, I would take a, like, I don't know if you've seen those like, six-pack fitness nutrition bags, and I'd, like, be fucking meal prepped for the plane. I'm like, I'm not eating plain food. i like like blueberries and i do the one that's got
0: (laughs) different little lunch containers yeah protein shakes and that was me that was me yeah totes
1: that was me
0: (laughs) so tell me then uh talking about your your girl who got the chin-ups and this is something i want to ask you because we push obviously body weight strength training is a huge thing that we focus on um in our training system and and obviously in yours too and it's a big part of the movement realm it is notoriously challenging as a style of training for anyone because body weight strength is just harder to attain, you know, chin-ups, pull-ups, whatever, stuff on the rings because you're working with your own body, which it's very hard to manipulate that load, right? It's quite fixed. Whereas for folks who are deadlifting or lifting kettlebells, you can just grab a lighter weight. Um, but particularly so for women, the body weight strength the upper body strength is really challenging. And the chin-ups are a great example. That's a real common movement milestone here at our gym. Um, and we really push it on 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 women. We're like, hey, you can totally master chin-ups, like you should chase it and get your first one because it's an awesome milestone and you yeah, know good. the process is, is valuable. But what are, uh, you know, can you talk on that on that process for women and maybe also paralleling it with your own sort of piece in changing your nutrition to the point where you're now you might be heavier now than you were when you were doing yeah. all that training, which makes body weight training harder. But you're also healthier so how do you reconcile the two
1: yeah great question and and i and i think it's a really good thing that you're encouraging um women to pursue body weight training and and upper body strength so and there's a few reasons for that um you know by about 50 the average woman would have gone through menopause and where you see a significant decline in estrogen and that's associated with a loss in bone density And that actually is – that rate is highest, that rate of the loss of bone density is highest in their first year of menopause. So, for example, if they hit menopause and they don't get a period um, at the age of 50, like that's the time where they're just going to see a rapid decline in the mass that they already have. Now, if they didn't have sufficient bone mass prior to that point, so I'm talking in your 30s and 40s particularly, if they didn't have sufficient mass then that decline is going to not it's not going to be offset by having like really dense you know um dense bones the the reason why that's a problem is because of the rate and the risk of fractures of osteoporotic fractures in women um 60 plus and um and it's one of the leading causes of morbidity and disabilities and it's and it you know, it's it's a big deal because once you lose mobility, in terms of like being able to get up and do the things that you want, your quality of life declines. And and I speak to that now because for women, they need to start doing these things in their twenties and thirties, in anticipation of twenty years down the track. So things like grip strength are also correlated um, with you know, with these sorts of adverse or these undesirable outcomes as women age. And the chin-up, you're, you're literally gripping. So you're, you're maintaining grip strength. It's also one of the, the three exercises that will give you the best core strength. Like, you know, chin-ups are just so good. But they are really challenging because unlike men, men have really, you know, broad shoulders and smaller pelvis um, and their weight is is differently distributed. Women have most of their weight in their legs. And, yeah, um, unless you're, like, a really petite girl, then um, it's, it's really challenging when you start out for the average person. I'm not talking to, like, people that are already busting out sets of five. So when you start out, it's really daunting. It feels like an impossible task, but it's one that's really necessary. So, um, you know, in terms of how to, how to approach it, it's really it's like science and you you guys know that you get results like follow this program do the work consistently you'll get the results however every time we train that is an inflammatory and stressful event to the body it's you stress, so we know that if we recover adequately with sleep and nutrition then that will actually help us to super compensate and build up more but if we're not giving our bodies the protein that it needs then we are not going to necessarily see those benefits because it's like you're trying to build a house with bricks so it's like I want to build a house with bricks okay so what do you need well I need bricks so it's like I want to do a chin-up but how are we going to build the muscle well you need the protein because protein is uh, and amino acids are the smallest constituent of our muscles and when we take those into the body as well as the carbohydrates to fuel, we give our body the energy to direct it to the goals that we want. But yeah, and I am heavier. I'm like, you know, I think in uni I was at 57 kilos and now I'm like, I fluctuate between 65 to 68 kilos. And it was a difficult process to, in in the beginning when I, I remember like started doing lots of chin ups, I started eating more food. My shoulders got bigger. I had to go to a wedding I had to put this wedding dress on. Oh, not my wedding dress, but like a dress for the wedding. Zip it up. Oh shit! Zip got stuck. Uh, what? What the fuck? And it got it got stuck. Like I had to, like I broke the dress. It was like this really nice dress. I loved it, but it was like a size eight dress, and I was no longer rocking a size eight dress. I was rocking a size twelve, and um, so I was like, and I remember I was like, oh my god, I had this meltdown and. But, but and this is why I say coach is really important because, and I had Courtney, I had someone to turn to to go like, look at all the things you can do now. What would you rather? Would you rather be eating zero food, like literally having to watch everything that you ate, like, you know, just ordering a salad? Or would you like to order the 300-gram scotch fillet steak and finish it and then have like aside, and like what do you want like where's your quality of life and what are your goals and priorities so with with my girl that I'm coaching at the moment that's been a, a really good um an ongoing conversation because one of the initial goals was to get skinny and I was like you know in my head I'm kind of like okay we'll roll with that that's why it's a year with me coaching because we'll see how you go you know Eating like 2,500 calories versus eating 1,000 calories before. And then I essentially give them a choice because then it's like, yeah, you can go, you can eat 1,000 calories or you can have this life. Which life would you rather? Would you like? And once people feel how good it is to be strong and to not be like in pain, tired, hangry, once they have that feeling and they get to that place and the penny drops, which can take a while, and for some people it won't. Like it's really hard to overcome years of maybe dieting or negative belief systems for women if they always saw their mothers eating, um, you know, not enough food. That's also really challenging. It's like a subconscious program then and a, and a negative limiting belief. Um, but if they're able to overcome all of that and they feel good, most of the time they'll okay, go, actually, there's no way that I want to go back to that. And we can still get them to their goal. So, you know what I was saying with that reverse dieting process? You can have your cake and eat it too. You can eat food, get strong, and also get lean. But maybe it's not going to be like unhealthy levels of leanness, like 15% body fat. And that becomes more of a thing as women get into their 30s and fertility and wanting to have a baby um, starts to, you know, maybe it's something that women want to think about you really do need a degree of body fat percentage to health to have healthy um, menstruation and and ovulation. I'm not saying that every woman that is like super lean won't menstruate and won't ovulate, but um, there is like, you know, good evidence to suggest that you need to have a degree of body fat as a woman to exist in the, the spectrum of health, as opposed to the aesthetic spectrum, as opposed to the athletic spectrum. And that really is important when, when you know, you're having those initial conversations and, and going, okay, well, what do, what do you want to get out of this? And sometimes their goals or their priorities will conflict and then a coach, a good coach will like, yeah, highlight that and go, okay, well, I've noticed that you said this, but you're actually doing this. What do you think that's about? And get them to ask the questions for themselves.
0: I liked how you put it before that for women, the, um, the menstrual cycle can be like a monthly report card where it's, where it's like, kind of like biofeedback on how things are going Um, obviously I'm, you know, it's not a report card I'm particularly familiar with, but I know as a dude, it's like, it it can be hard to get a handle on where you're at with those things on how your recovery is and whatnot. Um, you tend to only realize like what I was saying before about looking back and realizing, fuck, I, I was under eating drastically over that period years ago. You only realize once you're out of that. Don't you? It's almost like you need to reach that place where you're like, "Wow, I feel adequately fueled and well rested." Now, I realize I wasn't feeling this way for so long.
1: It's so true. It, like hindsight, hindsight's great, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah, hindsight, hindsight teaches a number of things. And when you feel good and you look back on, yeah, maybe photos of yourself, and certainly for me, I've got, um, I did this like medium blog post on how I unfucked my life, like just talking about feeling the practice and wanting to do all of these different things. But, um, you know, I had like, yeah, I had like, I was like, this is unusual for me to feel tired. This is like not, this is not me. Um, What, you know, what's going on and asking that question and then trying to find answers and not being satisfied with some of the answers that I was getting from perhaps not the right place. Um, yeah, I think for men, it's really challenging because, You know, often signs like being irritable or snappy at your partner, or snappy at your workplace. um, You know, with your colleagues, not being able to hit your numbers. You know, seeing a decline in strength. Like those can all be early cues. And then I'm a big fan as well of um, monitoring your resting heart rate or looking at your heart rate variability. So when we're looking at uh, overtraining syndromes, which I think is probably a bit underreported, I retrospectively I can see a number of people I've known over the years that fell into or still fall into an overtraining syndrome, like constant injuries, constant pain. Um, You know, a lot of, a lot of those, those situations, you're not aware of it because you're in it. So someone outside can see it if they're looking for the right thing and they know what to look for. But when you're in it, you don't see that. So having a metric or a measurable, um, like a wearable, like a, I think Whoop is one that's becoming quite popular. Um, I use a Garmin and, you know, the heart rate here when you're exercising is not accurate. I use a chest strap when I exercise to get my accurate readings. But for sleeping, it's fine. It does the job. And when you see a significant increase in your resting heart rate, it's probably a good sign that you're under-recovered and you need to pull back. So for a guy and and for a woman, like, looking at your heart rate variability or resting heart rate as well and tracking that and looking at, like, if you've got a gum and you've got an app and Whoop has an app as well, it'll give you a clue. And if you're, like, resting heart rate's normally 50, so mine normally sits around 50. Um, if your resting heart rate's, like, 50 or 48 and then you see it the next morning, jump, it jumps up to 60, fuck, that's a big jump. Like, if it's around, like, between 50 and 56, it's fine. If it's at 60, you're not recovered. And then you've got no business smashing yourself up. But do a deload session or do a light session or do an active recovery session or sleep the fuck in if you can. And with kids, like with babies, you'll notice when they're tired, they cry. When they're hungry, they cry. When they're Like there's always something and it's basic shit. Are they hungry? Are they tired? Do they need to go to the toilet? Well, as adults, we should be taking care of the toiletry. You know, the toilet training should be on point. For, you know, sleep and hunger are like two basic things, two really easily corrected things. Um, and good measurable data exists and is coming out around this, as I said, overtraining syndrome and what does that look like in, in our programming, how we've got to structure that, how to recognize the signs of overtraining. By the time you get to injury or you get like the flu or you get, you know, really run down, it's very obvious. Like I haven't been touch wood I haven't been sick in a good three or four years. I haven't gone down. I haven't had to like, you know, there's been there's been times that I have had a, a day of fatigue and I'm like, what's that about? Um, and it was probably like me not correcting my nutrition appropriately and not like taking a deload when I should have taken a deload. So now with women, I recommend the week before your period, you always just take a deload. Oh, but I feel good. No, take a deload. Take it before you need it and then you don't need it because it's easier to do that than to push through your numbers decline and drop and then you feel shit because you're not hitting those lifts or you're not getting the same reps and sets or you feel tired, just come back to fight another day. And you'll notice that if you do the deload session, you do a little bit less volume, you're actually fine.
0: What would be your, um, I think there's probably another larger discussion for us to have at some point about this, you know, your specific sort of recommendations for women and, and stuff around training, but what would be, a couple of the big ones that, that, that I've picked up there is to, to eat more food. Um, what, what else would you kind of sum that up with that are your main recommendations for women who are, you know, who are training and investing time and energy and going to the gym and trying to get results?
1: Yeah. So for women having that strong foundation of getting enough food in. And if you're unsure, as I said, you track it on my fitness pal, or I think chronometer is another app. I'm not familiar with that one, but I use my fitness pal. Um, and then I go to the um, the website to look at what I what I should be at. Often women will be like, "That's too much." Like, yeah, if you're if you're under eating, it probably will be too much. But as I said, Lori CK has a great ebook that can actually like tell you about the reverse dieting process. <clears throat> Lifting heavy, not being afraid to lift heavy, and to actually, you know, feel that feel that burn, and to progressively overload. So that's another thing I see women wanting to stay in a safe level, either on the barbell or with the weights, you know, like taking them a little bit to the extreme. As you mentioned before, sometimes you actually need to injure yourself to realize you need to go to that shit place to feel the difference, but you can take people to the extremes so that they can feel like this is what it is. To, uh, this is what a maximal effort feels like. Yeah. This is what it feels to maybe fail on a rep. And then, you know, you can actually see a lot of the time they've got a lot more that they're capable of. They're just bound by limiting belief. Um, I think looking for good role models and having healthy role models and being really judicious with your social media accounts that you follow. Because if you're just, like, following social media accounts that are, like, Victoria's Secret models and they eat celery for breakfast and, you know... Gusts of wind comes over and they blow over. Look, they're stunning girls, but I wouldn't trust them to, you know, carry something heavy if the zombie apocalypse came. Um, So, choosing their role models, so eating, lifting heavy, and progressively overloading. Choosing role models, being judicious with social media, and using that, and always um, taking that deload before your period. The reason why is after you ovulate around day fourteen of your cycle, that's a high hormone phase. So you have the higher amounts of estrogen, luteinizing hormone, and then progesterone starts to rise. So by the time you get to the week before your period, your hormones are quite high. You've got a number of estrogen receptors in your connective tissues, and one of the things that happens is your core body temperature rises. So you might notice you do a workout, particularly in summer, if your core body temperature is already up, you're gonna you're gonna try and like you know do your workout, but then you're kind of internally really quite hot and the temperature is important because that affects the oxygen offloading into the bloodstream and also that temperature will affect yeah your metabolic requirements for ox- oxygen utilization so that's why i recommend a deload before uh the onset of, of the period now for women that don't get their period because some don't you need to probably figure out why um majority of women that being said are on some sort of hormonal contraceptive so there is a bit of a caveat to that. In our circles I tend to find women aren't. Um, and there's no judgment around choice because that's such a it's such a tricky um place to navigate around. Um, but if you are on a oral contraceptive like the the pill, the conventional combined pill, and it has quite a lot of estrogen in it and um there's some, there's some risk, risk factors in terms of, like, clotting. So just make sure that you're not, you know, you're, you're not, like, suffering from migraines or don't have a history of clots. But it, that will affect your um, viscosity of your blood. And also, as I said, I've had reports from women anecdotally that once they've gone off the pill, a lot of the joint pain's been away. Um, so, yeah, you're right. There is a whole list. There's a whole conversation we could have about that. And, I, and it's under-researched, so there's not a lot of research, um, but a great book. To read for women that are potentially reading, or if you look, if you've got a partner or a girlfriend, you've got to get. You know, it's kind of behooves you to be aware of this. You know, because they're kind of breathing down your neck, like like the dragon from Shrek, like
0: you, you got to signs on your side. Ex-
1: that's it, and you have got a bit of um, it's like personal gain from recommending these things because the happy, happier she is, happier you are but stacy sims and her book raw touch on this a bit and they go through like uh
0: so funny misa just brought that book downstairs um right going through a bookshelf and she was like oh have you read this book and she chucked on i was like no i haven't heard of stacy sims she's like oh it's awesome and i i flicked through a couple of pages and i was like wow this looks important i should know a lot of this stuff
1: yeah it's so like it's so important and it's great that she has that book because Women that have had children, okay, that's another thing that we've got to talk about. Like that's another, if you're training women and, and they've had children, like their pelvis and their ligaments have had supercharged amounts of this estrogen stuff and and training preg- in pregnancy is really good. Um, but there's like some, you know, ligamentous laxity, like they get a bit looser because the whole body's preparing for, you know, passing a, a watermelon through the birth canal. So there's a lot of considerations for women in training. I think... The important thing is that they train in the right way. You know, this like strength is the trump card for women for sure. Like getting as strong as you can um, in in a safe way. That's also like mindful and cognizant of we are women, and you know you don't have to kill yourself like a guy. And it's important to tune into the body and rest when it's appropriate when you need to. Um, But don't be afraid of really pushing yourself in your sessions and and getting strong and working towards those, those ring routines. Like we know enough women that that can do it and there's a safe way to do it. That's underpinned by the nutritional component.
0: I like it, Mark. I think that's a pretty, uh, that's a juicy little teaser for us to leave it on. Bit of a cliffhanger for folks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Mate, I I appreciate it. I think, um, I think, I I mean, that's a very cool chat for anyone, you know, male or female doing the movement thing or come through the training realm but but particularly that last part is some really relevant stuff for for women and and you know those that are that are that are in the gym doing the thing um, yeah I'd love to pick it back up at a point soon and and sort of get you to go deep on all that if you'd be if you come back on oh
1: yeah that'd be awesome and and you know like I think Like you, you guys are doing such great stuff. Like especially with jiu jitsu, like that's another topic. Like getting women to be comfortable around, um, getting getting a a strangle on, giving a strangle, and um, and actually diving into essentially what's a male dominated sport. One of our girls from Oz that we sent over to you years ago, she's like crushing it, you know. And every time like I see her up on the JV Instagram, I'm just like, fuck, she's like, fuck, she's a beast, like she's a. Yeah, she's yeah. a real testament to, to like you know what you guys have been doing over there and the community as well. So um, yeah.
0: Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, she's a she's a, yeah. We 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 could have talked all about Liz. She's been a, a an amazing person to have here at the gym, and yeah, she's a real fixture of the of the jiu jitsu program, and it's fucking cool seeing her progress with it. Mm. She, man, she's a real handful. She is. I got like 40 kilos and like, I don't know, <laughs> years of experience on it, but I like, I, you know, she, yeah, she's, a, she's, she's a, a, a tricky one to deal with. I think anyone that yeah. comes from that level of like movement training where they've got the strength and the mobility through all those different ranges
1: Yeah.
0: As soon as they find their way onto the mats, <laughs> they're just instantly hard to deal with.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Too true. Too true. Mate, um, where, can, where can people get in touch with you? Where can they see your stuff? You got anything you want to plug?
1: um i took my website offline just because while i'm studying med it's um i wasn't i just wasn't having the time to get to like emails and stuff but probably instagram like margaret Vernon, i'm on instagram and just like send me a message if you have any other questions i try to put out um some semi-informative kind of stuff but also time's precious i think i'm drafting one up today on the science behind breath work and what actually happens with our CO2 and O2 when we're doing our breath holds and our um, breathing and, you know, just basic stuff that people were like, why do I have to do that, you know, breathing shit? So that's what I'm going to try and get out in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, nothing necessarily want to plug. Um, yeah. At,
0: at Margaret Dernan, D-U-R-N-A-N. Mm-hmm. Dernan. D- Awesome. I'm, uh, it's great to catch up with you. I appreciate you making the time to come onto the show. And uh, I, I really hope we can catch up in person at some point soon. You can come meet my little boy.
1: Oh, I can't wait. It's been amazing. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, pleasure. Guys, thank you for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. If you, if you did, please help to support the show. Um, take a screenshot of it, post to your Instagram, share it with someone who you might know that, that, that would benefit from it. Just helps to get the show out there. Uh, big love to Mark and thank you for listening. We'll see you guys next week.